0: Morning. Good stand and turned. I just realized I have a diaper in my back pocket. <laughs> Do you guys see that? That's awesome. To make some kind of sermon illustration out of this. It's been that kind of morning. Um, Hebrews chapter 13. I'm gonna read verses 20 through 24. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you soon if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is enough. We thank you for your kindness and your mercy to us. We thank you, Lord, just for all of the work that you are doing in this world, this country, in this community. We thank you for Kevin and others like him who have volunteered their time to minister to international students. We pray that you would work through ministries like IFI to awaken hearts and minds to the power of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, that you would establish in those hearts and minds the need for Jesus, that they would turn to your son, Father, trust in him, and share this good news throughout the world, wherever they may return and whoever they may interact with. We pray for this church, Lord God, that you'd use this time to glorify your son's name, that you'd hide me behind the cross, sharing this message this morning, bring glory to Jesus reminding us of all he's done, his faithfulness, his great faithfulness to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. maybe may be seated. Just a quick reminder, um, there's a basket out there, and we're still collecting notes and cards that um, we're asking for members of the church to write to the Wild family. Um, if you haven't, please take advantage of that opportunity. I think we're going to try to collect everything maybe towards the end of this month and then deliver it to them. So if you haven't written anything and you do know the wilds and they have made some sort of impact in your life, you are just thankful for their presence here. Please take some time to express your encouragement to them. So we've come to the, the end of the book of Hebrews. Next week we're going to start a new study in the book of Psalms. So we're going to go to Psalm 119 and kind of round out the end of summer, spending time exploring the sufficiency of God's word, specifically delighting in God's word. We'll start that next week. As we conclude Hebrews, you know, I can reflect that it's, it's been a journey. We've walked through a, a ton of content. And I think it's been a blessing to do so. You know, this church was in a very different place when we first opened this book in February of 2017. And in spite of all that, I, I take very seriously that we decided to study the book of Hebrews. Despite all that we were going through at the time, we decided to open up the book of Hebrews and spend time learning from God's Word. There's no doubt in my mind that it is the Lord who would lead a church called Cornerstone to closely consider Jesus in the thick of our circumstances. There's no doubt in my mind that God would be the author of that kind of intentionality. Now for me, there's, there's a lot of personal reflections. I, I remember when I first began reading the book of Hebrews to prepare for our study, prepare for this series. I read the whole book one night from my dad's old Schofield King James Version Bible. This is, a, I guess, an heirloom of, of sorts. My dad owned this King James Version Bible from when he first came to Christ. I actually stole it from him. He probably is angry that I have it. But just to take some time to hear from the Lord, I was also blessed to be able to sh- to share in some of the testimonies from my father. Because it was filled with notes and reflections of the verses. As I was reading through each chapter, I was finding that what he was writing articulated that he was discovering this truth for the first time. And that blessed me very personally because this is a faith that I'm living now, but it's a faith that's been carried on throughout time. With that, it carried an excitement to to preach out of this book. This book, Hebrews, which causes us to ask hopefully answer the question of what do we do with Jesus? Explicitly answering the question of what do we do with Jesus? So many different versions of Jesus that this world presents to us, but Hebrews presents a very specific picture of Jesus. What do we do with this Jesus that the scriptures teach us about? When we first started this series, a gay man who used to attend this church was asking if this was a place for him and asking what it meant for him to live his lifestyle and to try to connect with people here. My question to him was, sir, what do you do with Jesus Who do you say he is? I was encouraging him that we're getting ready to open up a book in Hebrews that explores Jesus in explicit detail. I remember starting this book and feeling the tensions of our society may or may not resonate with you, but with me as as a black man, it's been very hard to endure a lot of the rising racial tensions in our country. This is a very very public resurgence of racism and divisiveness in our society. And from week to week, struggling through that in real life, this building does not house everything that encompasses my real life. But walking outside those doors and encountering a society that's struggling and has very, very high tensions as it relates to our relationships with one another. But from week to week, coming face-to-face with Jesus in the book of Hebrews, being given to a study where I would have to begin exposition on the person of Jesus Christ. Some of you may know some of the personal struggles that Our family has endured with our our son, Levi, as we discover that he's on the autism spectrum. Now, I can say that I went through stages of grief trying to understand the whys and the hows of dealing with such a diagnosis and walking together with Liz through this, trying to understand what we do as a family to provide him the support he needs. Each week I was met with a word from the Lord in the book of Hebrews, which told me to consider Jesus, consider his faithfulness. And I'll tell you something, I can testify to you now, church, that he met me every time. You know, there's a hurricane that can come and seemingly wipe out everything around you, everything that you hold dear. And as you stand in the middle of the rubble, you may just be looking for that one precious item that helps center you and remember who you are. And I'll tell you that for me and as for this church, that precious item is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus himself. And through any hurricane that we face, we can know and remember that we still have Jesus. So we look at this text, and this is, verses 20 and 21 are considered the benediction. Benediction just means a blessing, oftentimes a blessing at the end of a sermon. And this benediction is something that I look at and remember all that we've covered in this book. And I can truly say there's a joy that rises up because this is, this is a testimony now. This Where we land, we're not just landing here as just some innocuous study on content that's placed here. This is a progression that we've gone through to understand more detail about who Jesus is and who we are. And I can truly say that I get happy now looking at what this is communicating. Staring at verses 20 and 21 with fresh Holy Spirit perspective. And I hope that we all can. If you spent time in this book, if you spent time walking through this journey together, I hope that we all can look at this text that we have before us as a benediction with fresh Holy Spirit perspective perspective on all that God has shown us. We find ourselves right back at the heart of the gospel. I love how this author simply takes two verses to recap everything that we've covered. It's almost fit for a praise anthem. Just these two verses tell us who he is, what he's done and what it means for us. First phrase here is, is, now may the God of peace. And I ask you, church, have you found him to be the God of peace? This section here hinges on this character quality. The God of peace what we read down in these two verses point back to him being the god of peace. This is a reference to the father. And we should understand here that peace is the father's intention. And what we are told in this book, what we understand from the book of Hebrews, the contents of this book expose Christ as supreme above all rulers and powers and angels. You ask, as as he sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high, does it set your heart and your mind at ease? As he makes you human being, as he makes me human being, a brother and a friend, by dwelling amongst us, does it set your heart and mind at ease? As he envelops every law given to Moses with his holiness, so much that he becomes greater than Moses, as he becomes tempted in every way, so that he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses, Yet remain the unspotted high priest who mediates before God on our behalf as he beckons us to the throne of grace to find mercy for us, to help us. As he places himself as the object of our faith, the author, the pioneer, the champion, the perfecter. Church, do you find peace? Do you find peace in what the Father intends for us? Do these words comfort you? Not because they come from me. Not because they come from Tony or any other person who would try their best to articulate this to you. But do they comfort you because they come from him? Start this entire book in chapter 1 says that God has spoken. He's spoken through Jesus. The very simple words to the, to the hymn, "'Tis so sweet," to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word. He has spoken. Just to rest on his promise, just to know, thus saith The Lord, this is not a human being trying to project something to you, but it is God himself. And Does he not lord his peace over us? In Jesus, he inaugurates the Prince of Peace. And Jesus literally says that his peace is what he gives us. The God of peace raises this same Christ from the dead to make peace. Does it just claim to be the God of peace, but he makes peace. Now the literal trans- translation of this, this text, specifically verse 20, orders this sentence differently. The sentence here in verse 20 in many of our translations follows the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. The literal translation starts with the blood right after the God of peace. It goes directly to the blood shed for the eternal covenant. The blood of the covenant is fully explained in the book of Hebrews to the extent of its perfect purpose. Again, the audience here would have understood the blood being spilled in accords with the old covenant, why a lamb had to be killed, why the blood had to be sprinkled on the mercy seat. There were all of these reasons, and according to custom and tradition, why this had to happen. But as we come here to this benediction, we understand God to be the God of peace The eternal covenant and the shedding of blood takes a final and complete meaning. This practice of spilling blood, we now come to understand, is not just this temporary stay on conviction. Faulty in that it could never appease the righteousness of God. That's how we look at the old priests that's how we look at men who had to tremble as they walked through the tent with all of these garbs and vestments on to walk into the, from the outer court to the inner court to the holiest place and stand before God and sprinkle this blood across the seat hoping that at that moment that they would not be found unclean, that they would not be struck dead, that God would accept this moment as, a, as an opportunity to forgive the entire people of their sins. But that's not what Jesus accomplishes here. There's no stay on conviction that he's just trying to accomplish one time a year in this tent. When Jesus spills his blood, he makes peace with God forever. The eternal covenant is finalized. It's complete. It has its full meaning We behold the great shepherd, Jesus, my pastor, our pastor, shepherds us in his sacrifice. He pays the entire cost for our peace with God. Now, this, this book, the book of Hebrews, goes into great detail about blood. About the significance of blood. And the spilling of this blood is something that may cause a little bit of unease with us. But what we should be more uneasy about is what this book also teaches us about God's wrath. His wrath is a terror. His righteousness demands blood. This gospel is graphic. It's bloody. But the land that was presented to spill his blood was spotless. It was perfect. Jesus didn't just die and martyrdom. We just look at this sad scene of somebody innocent just killed and that galvanizes people to follow him. Jesus was raised by the power of the God of peace. He was raised to reign and to operate the chief place of mediation on our behalf. So whenever we look at the cross, we don't look at the cross as someone who's still hanging there. If I were to use this room as an illustration of the truth, then we don't just look at Jesus as somebody who's still there. We look at the cross as empty because he's not there anymore. He's not in the tomb anymore. He's risen to a place high and holy, and he makes mediation on our behalf. That should set our minds, our hearts at ease. He is risen He has been resurrected. The power of God is not just demonstrating something for us to behold as a miracle, but it is establishing something that will be intact, will remain for all time. The eternal covenant is established by his blood so that we can say with confidence that I know it was the blood for me. The blood that speaks a better word than Abel's. It tells us that Christ was not a victim. And for all of you theology heads out there, the notion of Christus Victor versus penal substitution, it's just an old church history argument But the fact that Christ is victorious, I believe, gives us reason to consider that these two viewpoints can coexist. Christ is victorious because he paid the cost for our sin. With these words, we continue to verse 21. Find that we're equipped to do his will. The word equipped here in verse 21, the same word used in Hebrews eleven three, says that God fashioned the world, that he, he literally uses this word to provide significance. The universe was created by the word of God What is seen was not made out of things that were visible. So we're equipped. What he fashions in us is a design that gives us the equipment to do what he commands. Hebrews 10.5 refers to Jesus' body being fashioned, prepared to accomplish God's purpose. The same word used here for Equipped. Where Jesus' body is literally prepared. He prepares a body for Jesus to walk in, to accomplish all that God would command from on high. And here we see that we are equipped to do His will. We're equipped with everything good to do His will. So now what we know is put to work. He's working in us that which pleases him. What we know in our heads, what we have studied and learned about Jesus, what these chapters expose to us about the character of Christ, all that we know about who Jesus is literally gives us the ability to walk in such a way that honors God. Through Christ, through Christ, God accomplishes in us, what pleases him. Through Christ, God accomplishes in us what pleases him. So, now, what do we do with what we know? What are the gospel implications? Now that we know that Jesus is sitting down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, now that we know that His blood has been spilled for the purposes of giving us an eternal covenant with the God of peace, now that we know those things, we're asking our questions. We're asking ourselves questions: What are the implications? What do our lives look like? How do we respond? How do we interact with one another? How do we interact with this world? And we are literally fashioned and prepared. And equipped to do God's will. I understand last week that our brother Andrew Dempsey preached on being a doer of God's Word. This speaks to the same idea and all we know the indicative of the God of peace, the great shepherd of the sheep, bringing Jesus to life by the blood of the eternal covenant. The the indicative there leads us to the imperative to do God's will. To live out what we believe, to live out what he has taught us. Now, here's what I hope we've learned as a church in choosing Hebrews to study. I hope we learn that we don't preach Jesus to avoid dealing with real problems. We preach Jesus in order to deal with real problems. It's not just some redemptive distraction from real life. All that we know about Christ equips us to endure the hardness of life, to face our circumstances with a sure and true foundation. We find the gospel, the God of peace, present in every circumstance. We may ask ourselves the question: what is this this text, this verse here? What is the God of peace who raised Jesus from the dead? By the eternal covenant of the blood, what does that phrase have to do with our personal traumas? What does that have to do with society's ills? What does that have to do with the church's health? Church, it has everything to do with it. If we can't find our answers there, then we don't have answers if we study the scriptures as a departure from real life, if we study all that we find about Christ so that we don't have to face what is hard and what is real and what is painful, there's no point to proclaiming ourselves a part of the household of faith. There's no point to say that we are gospel trusters. There's no point to say that we are followers of Christ. If all that we have contained in these pages is not enough For real life, I remember opening this book and the tension of what we were facing with it. It almost is like, why study Hebrews? Why look at this book right now? We need some practical instruction. Can we get an epistle? Can we get something shorter? And yet, This writer is writing to a group of people who were pressed on every side, facing a number of circumstances, persecuted in body and in mind. They were looking at danger at every corner. And what he decides to do is unpack the old covenant versus the new covenant. What he decides to do is tell them about a faith that they didn't author or perfect. What he decides to do is expose to them who Christ was in relation to those old priests that were offering up these continual sacrifices. Now, I don't know. Maybe we can imagine what they felt like when they get this letter from somebody who's trying to articulate to them these details while they're facing actual physical opposition. We don't face those things. We're not facing those things. We have our own challenges. We have our own fears. We have our own inconsistencies. But what the contents of this book communicates to us is no less powerful than those who would experience persecution. It's no less powerful to us than to those who would have to endure circumstances that cause them to face danger. As we meditate on God's word, as we consider Jesus more closely, we become equipped to do his will. We begin to respond according to what pleases him. And again, we are equipped with everything good to do his will. What are some good things that we are equipped with? We're equipped with humility. We're equipped with the humility that reminds us that God designs circumstances. As much as we think we're in control, as much as what we think we, we, we are important in the scale of how things turn out in life, despite all those things God controls the circumstances. That should humble us. What else does God use this book to give us? What what else are we equipped with in light of everything good? Humility. We're also equipped with an awareness of the spiritual warf- warfare that we're in, a sense of urgency. And the urgency is, is kind of like an undertone to this content. You can read the content on its face, but the urgency that you find in between the lines of these words is communicated in the tone of this letter. There's a spirit behind this text that's not just feeding you information, but there is an urgency associated with how much you should consider what's being said here. And it translates to our need For Jesus. Our need, which we may not automatically express, we may not come to that on our own, we may not decide in our own hearts and minds that we are desperately in need of Jesus. But the tone of this letter says otherwise it says, You are desperately in need of Jesus. The truth of who He is is something that you must cling to. We're equipped with humility. We're equipped with awareness and urgency. We're equipped with compassion. Just the picture of what we see in Hebrews chapter 2. The fact that our Lord came from heaven to earth. He put on human flesh. What we design of God. Him being perfect, dwelling in unapproachable light, his throne almost flashing like lightning and thunder. Nobody wants to come and approach him as they are. This God who looks at humanity, who is unclean, who is inconsistent, who is ravenously sinful, this God who sees us, how far away he is from who we are, decides to dwell among us. The act itself communicates his compassion, let alone what he does while he's here. There are texts in the Gospels where you can see Jesus literally, it's articulated that he's literally moved with compassion. As he knows the hearts and the minds and the and the thoughts and all the intentions of everybody around him, he's still moved with compassion. We're equipped with humility, awareness, urgency, compassion, forgiveness. doesn't just feel sorry for us he doesn't just let us know how bad we really are how good he really is but he beckons us to him so that things can be made right we're ministers of reconciliation we are forgiven in his sight we are free the payment that was paid the blood of the eternal covenant screams to us, you are forgiven. It is finished. We've been forgiven. We're equipped with humility, awareness, urgency, compassion, forgiveness. We're equipped with fear. Fear in the sense of a godly intimidation. We should know who God is and we should know who we are. There's no flippant approach to the Lord of heaven and earth. The weight of his holiness should resonate with us. The weight of his holiness should be something we consider. It's godly and right For us to understand, to develop an understanding of how holy and awesome he is. We're equipped with humility, awareness, urgency, compassion, forgiveness, fear, grace. He beckons us to his throne. He tells us to come to the throne of grace. He extends it to us teaching us how to extend it to others. If we, who we are, have received such grace, such forgiveness, such compassion, how much more should we be willing to extend it to others? To interact with this world with the same revolutionary care. Lastly, we are equipped with rest rest the fact that he sat down the majesty on high on the throne of the majesty on high he sat down it's complete it's finished he's not scurrying about like the priests in the old covenant tradition trying to maintain every piece of furniture with pristine order Jesus actually wrecks the place. He rips the most precious piece of furniture in half. He rips the veil in half, collapsing the entire tent. It says, come to me. Those who come to me, I'll give you rest. Although you're weary, although you're heavy burdened over, I will give you Rest. As we close this book, I hope we're asking ourselves what we have learned in this season. I hope we're asking ourselves, what does the father seek to accomplish in us? The writer closes in these, these final verses with some encouraging news. He tells us all that he tells us about Jesus. He helps give form to our faith. And then he gives some good news that likely they've been praying for. Timothy's released. Some translations just say that he's released to travel, but most agree that he seemed to be released from prison. Mentioning him by name means that a lot of these guys probably know who He is. So God's not just giving us instruction on what to do, what to do, and then disregarding our prayers or disregarding people that we care about, that we have been laboring in prayer for, that we have been thinking of and wondering whether or not God was going to show up and answer a tangible circumstance. Timothy's free. Trust in Him. Believe that he will accomplish all that he designs for for you to do. Believe him. God is faithful, and he will continue to be faithful. I urge you to hear this exhortation. He calls this a word of exhortation. Again, this entire book is considered a sermon. And I could learn from this writer in Hebrews. He says, I've written to you briefly. So this was supposed to be a brief sermon. It took us a year and a half to get through the brief sermon. It could have taken us longer. But there's so much richness in what he has to share here. May the God of peace be with us, equipping us with every good thing to accomplish what the Father intends. May the God, may God of peace continue to restore our minds and our hearts as we get weary, as we get tired, as we lose sight of some of this content. May God drive us to his word, help us remember our dependency, to recapture his grace to be washed anew over and over again, to be able to answer life's circumstances, to be able to answer life's trials with the fact that Jesus is our high priest, he is our mediator, his blood spilled is sufficient to forgive all sin, and now he has given us an eternal resting place that we hope in, and because of that hope we experience rest now. May that be our reflection. May that be our identity as a church. We're going to go into a time where we take communion. We take the bread and the cup together. This body being broken. And again, this blood of the covenant, this blood of the eternal covenant. Is that which we're, re- what, this is what we're remembering. We're remembering that that blood shed establishes a forever covenant between God and man. That we are forgiven, that we have nothing to fear, that this blood shed was enough. So when we take these elements, we're proclaiming our faith. We're saying that this sacrifice, this cost that was paid was sufficient. And we trust in Jesus Christ all over again. If you are not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Christ, if you do not have cause to take this cup and this bread and you think it's just a part of a religious ceremony, I encourage you, hang back. Don't take the bread and the cup without sharing in all that it truly represents, I want to invite you first to take Christ, to consider Jesus, to consider his sufficiency, his supremacy, the fact that he stands above all human history, all of creation, and that he offers his forgiveness. He offers his peace. His grace to you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your intention. We thank you that you see each and every last one of us. and We don't have to fear because you are God of peace. Thank you, God, that you've made a way for us to have fellowship with you to come to Jesus to find grace, to find rest and pray Lord that you remind us as a church of all that you continue to do all that you have done that your word becomes a sweet savor for us that we will never forget our desperation our dependence on you you cultivate in us humility. That the fear of God that we have is directed by what your word says about your holiness. That we're captured by that in our interactions with one another, in our missional, purposeful interaction with this world. Give us strength. Please be patient with us. Please give us your grace. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.